Welcome to the Stony Brook Crossroads Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doyle DeGraw. For more information about this podcast, our community, and other resources, please visit CrossroadsChurchSB.com. Putting money in, we can't keep track. So, um, one of the things I wanted to mention to you, how many of you have on your phones or on your iPads or on your computer what's called the uh, Bible app? Okay, about half of you, that's good. So, there's an application, there's lots of different applications, but there's a very simple application to use on your phone to enter into different reading plans. And just like the way I read books, I always read about five or six books at the same time. I have about five or s- I realized this morning as I was looking at it again, I've got about five or six reading plans going on at the same time. Um, not all of them are for the full year. Some are for like a few days. Some are for a few weeks. Um, but one that I came across that I know some of you have may- maybe have used before, but I would encourage you to check it out. You know that uh, about Alpha... And Nikki Gumbel, Nikki and Pippa Gumbel are the ones that are part of starting Alpha. And they have a Bible reading that's uh, reading through the Bible for 2020. And it's really not too late to start. But it starts with a commentary, uh, a short commentary about the reading, the reading of a psalm, uh, the reading of an Old Testament passage, and then a reading from the New Testament. And the commentary kind of helps unpack the relationship of those three passages together. Um, I think if you take your time reading through it, it takes 10 minutes, 12 minutes to get through it. So um, anyway, I encourage you to check those out because it's so important for us to feed ourselves every day with God's word. And um, that's such a convenient way to do it. So, um, all right. This morning what I want to do is have us think about what it's like to be in the midst of the wilderness. Anybody ever feel like you're in the wilderness? How many of you feel like you're in the wilderness right now? Like what, what is coming up next? Um, and the reality is that our life sometimes is filled with seasons of time where uh, the wilderness seems like it lasts forever. There are times that we can see the the light at the end of the tunnel, and then sometimes it just seems like there's one wilderness testing after another. And um, so I wanted to take a few weeks and talk about how we find freedom in the midst of wilderness situations. And I think uh, throughout the scriptures, we have several examples of God's people and individuals making their way through the wilderness. And I think one of the most obvious examples is the example of the Israelites being delivered from Egypt and finding their way through the wilderness. And if you go to that Bible app I mentioned, there are lots of different Bible plans that take you through reading about the Israelites working their way to the promised land. But I want to have you think with me for just a minute. There's a very important number that's always representative of the wilderness. It gets repeated several times, and the length of time varies depending on how this number is applied. So there's one number that gets repeated constantly in wilderness testings through the scriptures. 
Anybody know what the number is? To number 40. Because how many days was Jesus in the wilderness? How many days was Moses on Mount Sinai? How many years did the Israelites, oh, I just changed it from days to years. How many years were the Israelites in the wilderness? 40 years. And if we have to face a wilderness testing, we hope it's not 40 years. But that's what the Israelites were facing. And what happens when we face a wilderness situation, when we're in the middle of uh, circumstances where we are really not clear what's coming next, and with that lack of clarity comes confusion and discouragement and fear, during those times, uh, we make decisions and we default to situations that get, our, get, get, get us into trouble. And so I want to remind you of a couple of things. I think you're all familiar, most of you are familiar with the story of the Israelites getting out of Egypt. So let's just kind of do a little quick quiz. What was the name of the sea they crossed when they got out of the wilderness, or got out of Egypt? The Red Sea. Anybody say red? Okay, good, I couldn't hear. So uh, do you remember how many plagues there were that the, the Egyptians suffered through before God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt? There were 10 plagues. Did anybody remember what the last plague was? The plague of the firstborn, which is what helps us remember what the purpose of communion is and sacrifice and the, the shedding of blood and putting blood on the doorpost. And so they go across the Red Sea and as they enter into the wilderness, this is the thing we want to remind ourselves about, is that in the wilderness, wilderness does not equal lack of miracles. In fact, oftentimes in the wilderness, we experience more miracles than we do during other seasons of our life. Thank God we experience those miracles. And we know that the Israelites, at least a couple of times, had the experience of water pouring out of a rock, miraculously. Just because Moses tapped his, his staff or hit, hit his staff on a rock, water begins to pour out. We have uh, times where the Israelites began to grumble. About, anybody ever grumble about the wilderness? Only one person. The rest of you are just not telling the truth. But the Israelites were grumbling about the wilderness and uh, grumbling about the fact that they didn't have anything good to eat. And so then they get a food from heaven. You remember what that's called? Manna. They get the manna from heaven. And then before they even get to the promised land, before the 40 years is ended, and the one generation that doesn't get it in the midst of the wilderness, which is kind of a scary thought to think that sometimes God sends us into wilderness in order to kill one generation so another generation gets to enjoy the promised land. Hopefully we're not the ones entering the wilderness that get the killed side of the story, but we're the ones that get to the other side to the promised land. But before they get to the promised land, they come across some enemies called Amalekites. And there's this great story uh, in the beginning part of the book of Exodus. I think it's around Exodus 16 or 17. After the Israelites have sung this great song of rejoicing and they come against this group of enemies called the Amalekites. And this is when, now this is a really tough question. Okay, So Moses, so, so Moses is holding his hands up over the battlefield. The Amalekites are fighting and there's a general on the battlefield 
that's leading the Israelite armies to fight the Amalekites. Do you remember the name of the general? The name of the general in the valley fighting the Amalekites is Joshua. So then what happens is every time Moses keeps his hands up, Joshua and the Israelites, Israelite armies prevail over the Amalekites. But then after time, Moses' arms start getting weary and they start coming down. And as his arms come down, proportionately the Amalekites begin winning the battle. And so there's two important people in that story that come alongside of Moses and they, they lift up his arms and they put each of his arms up, they kind of put a pedestal of a rock under his elbows so that he can hold the arms, his arms up. Do you remember the two persons that help him? Aaron, his brother, and the other one is an obscure name. Her. H-U-R. Aaron and Her are the two important characters that help them to win that battle. So in the midst of the wilderness, even before they're even close, I mean, this is like in the first year of 40 years, they experience several miracles with also the memory of what God did to deliver them across the Red Sea, and they turn back and watch all of the Egyptian armies drowned in the Red Sea. And so they have all of that going on, and they enter into this wilderness, wilderness wandering. And one of the things that happens when God sends us into a time of wilderness testing is a, a couple of things are going on. One is... Uh, to purify us, to cleanse us of the stuff that gets us thinking incorrectly. Another thing that happens when God sends us into wilderness testing is this pressing question. Who are you going to worship? And how are you going to respond with your trust? Who are you going to worship? And once you determine who you're going to worship, where is your trust going to end? What was that? Was that a gust of wind? So who are you going to worship and how deep is your trust going to be? Because it's one thing to decide I'm going to worship God, but then when the wilderness pressure comes and the testings come, that all of a sudden my trust begins to waver. So that's what wilderness is for. And in these seasons of wilderness, it's times when the Lord is distant. It's times when it feels like He's even disappeared. And the good news about it is that even in the midst of it, if we make the right decisions, we, we can experience freedom in spirit even though the circumstances don't justify the way we feel. And, but, but as we enter into the wilderness, here's the thing we've got we to be careful about. We have to be careful that we guard against defaulting to our typical way of doing things. Because when we default to the way we typically handle difficulty, what that leads to is both fear and bondage. And if we fall to following the old ways of doing things, it leads to another thing, which is shame, because then we come back to the Lord and have to confess that we didn't trust Him in the midst of the situation. So with that in mind, I want to look at Exodus 32, just some of the verses there, not all of them. Exodus 32 which is a familiar story for us. And I want you to look at, first of all, just at the first verse. It says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together 
gathered, gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Now the setting, just to remind you, they have received several instructions. One of the major instructions they've received is the Ten Commandments. And Moses had been instructed to go up to Mount Sinai, and there were instructions to the Israelites to be careful they don't get too close to the mountain, and they see a cloud descend on the mountain, they see fire, they, hear light, they, hear, they see lightning, and they hear thunder, and it's a very awesome, uh, sort of fearful time for the people to make them very uh, awestruck of Yahweh. And so they're, they're at the base of Mount Sinai, and they're concerned about their leader, they're watching, and this time passes by of about 40 days. And he's on Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, or have the Ten Commandments carved onto these tablets of stone that he's taken. It's the first set of tablets, because... In this story, which we won't talk about too much today, but in this story, the first tablets end up in a trash heap because of his anger at the people. So he's on Mount Sinai. The people are anxious because he's been there for 40 days. Now, it's interesting this number 40 comes in again because you remember when Moses was, uh, remember when Moses was rescued by one of the Egyptian princesses and he becomes part of Egypt uh, and is raised by... Pharaoh's daughter. That period of time is 40 years. And then the other period of time that becomes significant in his life, 40 days for Moses is no big deal. Because he spent the next 40 years, and I don't know, I want to see if you remember this. Do you know where he spent the second 40 years of his life? On the backside of the desert. So if anybody understands what it's like to be in the wilderness, Moses understands it. So when the word gets to Moses that something's going on and that the Israelites are getting impatient, Moses has no patience at all with these people. But what's happening is they grow impatient and they just feel like something's got to happen and they're getting nervous and they're getting fearful and their intention to worship Yahweh is not settled yet. And because it's not settled they default to what they know best, which is to find some way to build an idol, to build something that they can see because they're having difficulty embracing the mystery. And so the first thing I want us to be reminded of this morning is that sometimes when we are in wilderness wanderings, we forget that God has heard us before. That's why I read Psalm 5 that starts with the words, Hear us, O God. So, I want you to think with me for just a minute. How many times in your life would you say that God has heard your cry over something? How many of you would say it's zero times? Whew, that's good. How many would say at least once? Twice? Five times? Ten times? hundred times? So why is it if we know that He's come through Hundreds of times. Why is it that when testing comes, when we enter into a wilderness period where there's mystery and difficulty, why is it that we default to trying to fix it our way instead of trusting Him? And it's because wilderness times or periods of wilderness wandering 
are times for us to be testing what's really going on in our heart and whether we can, and, and it's a time for us to remind ourselves God has been there before. In fact, it's interesting, the beginning of Exodus in chapter 2, it says, During those many days the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people, and God knew. They they had cried out to God numerous times before, in particular after their years, 400 years in in, in Egypt, and God heard their cry. But what happens to us often when we enter into the wilderness is we have a test of how we're going to handle those ordained delays. They're a good measure for us to see how mature we become. They're a good measure to see if we still have a tendency to drift towards our default of resignation to fate and reacting poorly to what God's doing. Let me ask you another question, and I want you to be really honest. How many of you have ever complained in the middle of wilderness testings? Good, I'm glad you're being honest. We've all complained because we, we lose our way. And, and in these times, God gives us the opportunity to deepen our perspective and our perseverance in following Him so that we can experience the freedom that He wants us to have. Another thing that happens is sometimes in wilderness wanderings, um, we forget who we are. Not only do we forget what we know about Him, but we forget who we are. In Exodus chapter 19, before Moses goes to Mount Sinai, listen to the words that, are described, that, that describe the Israelites. These are God's words. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. If you will obey my voice, you'll be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's who, who these people are. But the wilderness comes, and this testing period comes of 40 days, and they forget the message right away because it has not embedded in them. And they're frustrated because of their uncertainty, and instead of trusting Yahweh, they turn to idolatry and sin. So if we look at Exodus 32 again, verses 2 and 3, So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Just a reminder, where did they get the rings of the earrings of gold? The Egyptians. God let them take all this plunder. And so they have these rings of gold. So so all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears, and they brought them to Aaron. And I want you to notice a few things. Leaders are not um, exempt from this temptation because it was a leader who relented to the fear of the people. The second thing I want you to notice is they took what had been given to them by the favor of the Lord as they plundered the Egyptians of silver and gold jewelry and clothing. The next thing is to notice how generous they were to give to an idol and revert to old forms of uh, of worship. Their generosity is huge. In fact, they basically, if you read the story, they basically had to be told not to bring anymore. I mean, if only God's people would be that generous to God, but they were generous. 
they were more generous to the idols they were comfortable with than they were with Yahweh at that point. So in verses 4 through 6, back to Exodus 32, it says, And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day, and they offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. Now these offerings, these burnt offerings and these peace offerings, they'd already received some instructions that these were supposed to be reserved for Yahweh. But they forgot. They forgot they belonged to Yahweh. They forgot that they were a kingdom of priests. They forgot that they were already a royal nation. And that's a temptation we all have to fight against when we enter into wilderness wanderings is to remember who we are, even when it doesn't feel like that. That's why I'm encouraging you to go back to Bible apps and all those kinds of things. The only way we remember who we are is to go back to His Word and keep rehearsing what the words say, even when it doesn't feel like it. Now, another thing about these wilderness wanderings is because we forget who we are, we end up reverting back to our old ways. What they insisted on Moses doing was building a calf. Does anybody ever think about why he, I mean, not Aaron, but I mean, not Moses, but Aaron. Why did they want him to build a calf? It was an Egyptian, it was a key piece of Egyptian idolatry. It was called, it was called the apis, the bull calf. And it was something they, they went back to what they were comfortable with. How many of you know that God really, I don't know what it is about Him, but He really likes making us feel uncomfortable? And I think sometimes the reason for that is so that we'll trust Him instead of going back to the idols that we have in our own life, our own default systems, the things we go back to and we have worshipped in the past that are idols in our lives. It was a, an idol just like they had worshipped in Egypt. He was known to, as a mediator to the gods. And it does, it doesn't, it's not surprising that their default was to go back to this idol. But instead of, instead of, embracing, instead of embracing their new identity as a nation of priests, the Hebrews slipped back in these comfortable ways and they, they drag the gods of Egypt into the desert with them rather than leaving them behind. Now, what I want you to be reminded of is, as well and just ask you to be praying this way. You know, I think in some ways, individually, I think in some ways, sometimes churches go through peri peri periods, periods of wilderness testing and wilderness wanderings. And one of the things I think that scares me as I read this story from a leadership perspective is I think that the challenge to leaders in the midst of a wilderness test becomes even more acute than it does for the people that are following. Because notice who did not stand his ground. It was Moses' brother Aaron. Aaron had seen all the miracles when Moses said, God, you picked the wrong guy, I can't speak. When he, he, he said, I'm too shy, I, I'm not quick of, of, of tongue, I can't, I can't do these things. 
Aaron was witnessing all the miracles that happened. He was there for every one of them. He had, he had witnessed every one of them, the miracles that happened when God said a plague would come. They, it came without any hesitation, just like God said. He'd seen, he, was, he was in all of the planning meetings with Joshua and Hur. He was, he was in all the meetings with Jethro when they were planning how to care for the people. And here he was. And God help us if one of our leaders is the one that doesn't stand up when, when we're defaulting to a wilderness test. That's what scares me a lot in this story because in this story, Aaron demonstrated a huge leadership void. So we go back to the story. Verses 7 and 8. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt who have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of out of the way that I commanded them. They've made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When we're in a wilderness, when we're waiting to hear from God, we need to fight those certain tendencies that are part of our DNA. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says every person in Christ was an old creature who becomes a new creature. I don't know how many years it takes, but I think most of, most of you have been believers long enough to know, is, doesn't it drive you crazy sometimes that you get anxious about things after you've seen God come through time after time after time? Doesn't it drive you crazy that you get fearful about situations when you know that God's going to come through just like He's done it before? Doesn't it drive you crazy when you find yourself compromising in your worship, whether it's in your expressions of worship with your time or your energy or your worship during, uh, during a time of worship at church, during praise, or with your money and your finances, and you go, you know, maybe we can't release this money to the Lord because what, how are we going to pay our bills? How many times do we default to those things when we've seen God come through time after time? We have a tendency to forget who we are. And then finally, in verses 19 through 21, it says, As soon as he came near the camp, and he saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them on the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made, and he burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water, and he made the people of Israel drink it. This is such a contrast because back in Exodus 15, when they grumbled about no water, Moses hits the rock and water pours out of the rock at Elam. And it says in, that, in Exodus chapter 15, they came to Elam and there, there, they found there sweet water and there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees and they encamped there by the water. It was just a few days before that they had seen God do that. And now, a few days later, Moses says, let me give you something else to drink and see how you like it. See how you like up your, like your ground-up calf mixed in with the water that you're drinking. What a contrast. And in one circumstance is this water of, of death, but then there's another circumstance that we read about later in the New Testament where there's a, there's a, 
there's a cup, a drink that represents life. The Israelites have to drink a cup of death, water mixed with idolatry. Jesus says, I'm drinking a cup. He holds up the cup and he, and he says, this represents the new covenant in my blood. And remember me every time you drink it. And every time we drink that cup, what a contrast it is to what the Israelites experienced. Wilderness wanderings test our commitment and our motivation. And in verse 26, it says, Moses stood in the gate of the camp and he said, Who's on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. Now what do you remember about the sons of Levi? What do you remember about the Levites? What was their major responsibility when it came to all the tribes of Israel? Serve the temple. Their major responsibility was worship. So the motivational question whenever we face a wilderness wandering is who are you going to worship? Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to give all your attention to? The Levites represent worship, and if we respond correctly to the test in the wilderness, we will turn our undivided attention to the Lord, our attention to God with a heart of worship. The Levites received the high calling to, to bring the sacrifices to the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God's glory. And we need to be like the Levites who step forward and are ruthless in our obedience, even if we're in the situation where there's mystery and there's confusion and we don't understand because we can't see which way to go and we only have a pillar of fire and a cloud to lead us and that's all we have to know which way to go. And like the Israelites, we sometimes sit on our hands when God tells us to move or we try to make something happen when He wants us to stop and just wait on Him. And that's what wilderness wanderings do is they help us to learn to trust and wait on Him. And that's really the only place we're going to, try, we're going to find real freedom and true freedom. So we have a choice. To drink the pure water of God's focused worship or the tainted water of self-made worship. What a contrast with what Jesus did in the wilderness for 40 days, faced with the same test. And every time he's faced with the test, instead of turning to an idol, he turns back to the truth of God's Word. And so I want you to think of five questions. First question, in what current challenge in your life could you trust God more? In what current challenge in your life could you trust God more? Second question, how have you tried to manipulate the future outcomes that are going to come? How have you tried to manipulate the outcome on your own without God's help? The third is really a statement, not so much a question, but I want to encourage you to think back on how God has been faithful and trustworthy in the past because I asked you that earlier. Let me ask you again. How many of you have experienced God being faithful and trustworthy in the past? Raise your hand. How many of you have experienced it this week? 
The fourth question is, how can you allow times that represent the wilderness be times to strengthen your faith and your obedience to the challenges that you're facing? And finally, how will you display your, God, your trust in God today, even if today represents a wilderness wandering or a wilderness test? Now to finish, I want to remind you of something. And we put up, if you would, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Peter says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness or out of the wilderness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I wouldn't be surprised. In fact, the reality is probably all of us in some category of our life, at some level of intensity, are experiencing dynamics that represent wilderness. Might be about your health, might be about future decisions, it might be about your finances, it might be about a relationship, and you're not sure how it's going to work out because of the persons or the pers- people that you need to talk with. All of those circumstances represent wilderness tests to determine whether we're going to trust God or try to fix it on our own. And so as we get ready to receive communion this morning, the Lord's table is an opportunity to once again remind us that Jesus faced the wilderness for you and me. He, he faced the wilderness for all of us so that we can grab a hold of his coattails and for the joy that was before him, he endured the cross. He endure, endured the deepest wilderness of all, the wilderness of the cross, so that you and I could get on the other side of any wilderness that we're facing. So can I pray for us first, and then we'll get ready to receive communion together? I'd like you to hold out your hands in front of you. And if any of those things in your life that you would identify as doesn't have to be an intense wilderness, it's just a time of wondering and questioning, and it's not clear. It's not clear like when you're on a mountaintop and you can see for miles. It's like a wilderness or like a valley. And Lord, we take those things that are in our hands right now. And the first thing is, we want to be like the Levites. And we say, Lord, you are good. You are good all the time. And even in the midst of the wilderness, we are not going to turn away from you. And we're going to choose not to turn to our own ways of figuring this out but we're choosing to trust in you. And so, Lord, take each one of those areas of our life, every category that might be affecting us, whether it's one, two, three, four, five things, and we pray that you would help us to let those things go for you. And then we, with expectation, will celebrate. Not what happens because we're celebrating an idol, but celebrating because we're seeing what you've done for us one more time. And we just ask you to do it once again. In your name we pray. Amen.